Hey there, what's up everyone? It is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 215. Now, you may have heard me say this in the past, but nearly everything I ever needed to know about surviving, everything from a natural disaster all the way up to a gunfight, I learned in my 10 years in the infantry. And in this week's episode, I'm going to share with you five military lessons for emerging the victor in a concealed carry gunfight. And as usual, don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's show notes, including a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet that you can download absolutely free. All you need to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 215 and grab the entire package for free right now. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey there, welcome back everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. Now, you've heard me tell my war stories in, in probably several podcast episodes in the past and in webinars that we've done for our New World Patriot Alliance members. And it's because those stories, that practical application of tactics on a battlefield or even just in training that I've done in the military has had so much real world application to what I do now as a civilian, whether it's concealed carry or whether it's preparing for a disaster. It, I've just seen it pretty much just blanket every element of my self-protection universe, right? And there are so many lessons learned there that civilians really don't get. And it's not just on the battlefield. It's also in the training that we do as well. And the military has been around for, you know, I'm not going to give a number there, but let's just call it a bazillion years, all right? So we've had a military for, for, our, uh, for our country, and that training has become very... Um, it's been it's been very planned out. It's been tried. It's been tested. It's been battle proven. It's been battle proven wrong. We've learned from mistakes. We fine tune things. We make them doctrine. There's a reason for the things that we do in the military as a unit, as a force, as a soldier. There's a reason why we train a certain way. There's a reason why we have certain regulations out there. They're all meant to create this unified force where everybody is, is, is basically going in the same direction and you know how everyone else is going to fight and train with or right alongside you, right? So what I thought I'd do is just take five things that I'm just looking back on my military years, five things that I've noticed from either training or being in combat that have a true application for those of you out there and whether you have military experience or not, doesn't matter, but in relation to a conce- you know, carrying concealed and being ready for a real gunfight out on the streets, that these, these five things have a direct application to whether or not you survive that fight. And some of these are going to be kind of maybe a little bit strange. You have maybe even thought of them before, or you haven't thought of them in the way that I'm going to present them. So I'm going to challenge you here. I want you to listen to all five of these and really get these, okay? All right, so let's just go down this uh, really quick here. So number one is to keep your hands out of your pockets. Now, this is a military regulation, an AR 670-1, which talks about what you can, you know, how you're supposed to wear your uniform and it's all about your, you know, how you dress and how you present yourself. 
Well, one of the things that you're not allowed to do in the military is put your hands inside of your pockets. Now, part of this was really for discipline reasons, right? Like if you see somebody with their hands in your po- in their pockets, it looks casual, right? It looks kind of sloppy. It looks shabby. And so we don't, that's not how we want to present ourselves as soldiers. You want to look strack, right? You want, you want to be in a, I mean, when I was there, it was like pressed uniforms and it was shine boots and you want to look disciplined and, you know, and, and a disciplined force is going to fight better. So part of the reason for not having your hands in your pockets was really for presentation and really projecting yourself as a disciplined soldier. Now, the same thing happens on the street, right? If if you have your hands in your pocket, you're walking down the street with your hands in your pocket, it's a very casual presentation that you're giving, okay? It, it looks casual. It looks shabby. And that's really not what you want to project out there, right? If there are criminals out there that are looking for their next victim, they're looking for somebody who is not ready. Now, if you don't have your hands in your pocket, then you look strong and confident. You want to walk with with confidence. You want to imagine, I've, I've said this before, but you kind of want to, when you're walking, you want to imagine that you have like the Superman cape flowing behind you, right? Like it, that visual makes you actually walk like with superhero confidence in a way, it, 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 it exudes out of you. It just does. Well, on the other side of that, if you have your hands in your pocket, it looks shabby. You don't want to do that. Now, the other part of this is it also decreases reaction time. Okay. So as we've said before, and you'll probably hear me say a couple times, even in this podcast, most attacks happen in, in extreme close quarters, right? It's like an ambush. So when that happens, if your hands are in your pockets, then your go- your reaction time is going to be less than if your hands were not in your pockets. Same thing if you're standing there. It doesn't matter if you're walking, standing, moving. It doesn't matter. You want to keep your hands out of your pockets. Now, I promise you that this is going to be a really hard habit to kick. The best thing I can tell you is to get in the habit of catching yourself with your hands in your pockets. And I'm hoping that just listening to this podcast will get you to do that. But then get used to having your hands in front of you instead. And think about the difference between having your left hand over your right hand. So basically, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your hands basically crossed in front of you, basically over your crotch in a way, if you want to just kind of imagine that, right? So it's kind of like the bouncer look, right? The bouncers do this because, you know, at the club, because you've got to be ready if somebody's going to haul off and, you know, take a swipe at you. You want to have your hands in front of you where you can get them up very quickly. If they're in your pocket, obviously, you're going to get probably cold cocked, right? So you want to get in the habit of having your hands in front of you instead. You'll catch yourself doing it now. Just don't beat yourself up too badly. Just take your hands out of your pockets, put them in front of you, and you will instantly notice more confidence in being able to defend yourself should something happen in a split second, okay? All right, so uh, number two on my list is the first one to get metal into meat is usually the victor. Now, I've seen where, you know, when enemy combatants, basically when somebody gets shot, you don't know how they're going to react. But a lot of those one-stop shots that you might see even in police records are psychological stops. They weren't even physical stops where somebody shot one round at someone and it punctured their their heart in the in, in you know just the right way, or it it, it, punk, it hit the brain, and that one shot literally just took them out of the fight, right? A lot of those times where somebody is shot with one bullet and they go down and they're not a threat anymore, 
it's a psychological stop. They realize that they have been, they've been shot, that they're bleeding, that they could die and they don't want to die. So they don't want to keep up the fight. Obviously, that's not what you want to do. If you are fighting for your life, you want to be able to defend yourself and you just, you have to keep going, right? Because you don't know when the enemy is going to stop shooting at you. But a lot of times the enemy will stop right away, especially if it's somebody that's unarmed, if they don't have a handgun, but maybe they just have a knife, right? So what I've always um, found is that, you know, basically speed is better than trying to be ultra accurate. Now this goes in direct contrast to a, a very, very common uh, motto that's or saying that's out there, this quote that's out there in the, in the uh, tactical firearms world that was, it was tagged to Wild Bill Hickok, you know, way back in the Wild West days, okay, Corral days, right? So, and, and, that's, and that quote is, speed is fine, but accuracy is final. Well, that's correct in the Wild West, right, where your enemy is, is 10 paces away. And then you're supposed to like, you both draw at the same time. Yeah, somebody might be too quick on the draw. And for those of you that actually go to the range and try shooting at a target 21 feet away, if you try drawing really quickly and hitting that, that target, it's going to be really tough, right? Not like in the movies, right? Well, they say, you know, in the, oh, in the Wild West days, it was that same kind of thing. So if you had like a, a gunfighter, and he was really nervous, like he goes to draw and tries to think that speed is going to be the victor here because you have to be the first one to, to get that bullet in the other person, right? Well, most likely they're going to miss. So the gunfighter that was quick enough to get the, to get the firearm out of the holster, but then took time to be able to get their sights on them to make sure that that round was going to hit that person and they were going to win the fight, right? Accuracy is final. You have to hit somebody. Well, that's not the way that you're going to be attacked out on the street. Okay. In our, in our close combat shooting course, we talk about the ways that you are most likely going to be attacked are going to be from an ambush or, th or something like an escalated argument, something where you're, you're arguing with somebody and all of a sudden they decide they're going to pull out a knife or pull out a gun, right? But it's going to be right there up in that bad breath zone there. So in those cases, accuracy is not as difficult. I'm not saying it isn't difficult because even at that close range, and we've talked about, we talk about this in the close combat shooting course, but even in, even in close range, even the most highly trained police officers out there are only accurate 28% of the time in close, in extreme close range, right? So there's lots of factors that go into that, but speed is ultimately going to be the one thing that's going to get you that offensive advantage. Now, I don't care. You know, so when I say the first one to put metal into meat, I don't really care where that, that meat is. If I'm struggling with that gun and they've got a handle on it too, and I'm trying to you know retain the weapon, but I've got it at least pointed down even at their feet where it's not pointing like in my direction where it's going to ricochet up me, I don't care if I get a bullet into his big toe. Because he's going to hopefully feel that, know that he's been shot. Wherever I can get that bullet, that's what I'm going for. It's not going to be necessarily a center mass shot that's going to take him out of the fight right away. But I'm looking for a psychological stop. I'm looking for um, shock and awe with the, the, the blast of this weapon, uh, a contact shot where... The muzzle blast is also, or the muzzle blast, but the, the blast, the, the, um, the, the, that blast from the weapon is also going to do damage. Like I'm looking to do damage wherever I can do it on this person as quickly as possible, right?
So speed really is, in my opinion, more more important than accuracy when we're talking about extreme close quarters combat. Now, by the way, if you if you want both speed and accuracy, a friend of mine, um, Ox, some of you know him. We've done many podcast interviews with him and stuff. Just came out with a new program for um, calls it Draw Stroke Mastery and. It's insane what Ox can do with a, with a handgun. I mean, the guy is just crazy accurate, fast, super fast. Um, and it's because of his dry fire courses and stuff like that. Like he's a master at dry fire and knowing how to get people to be super fast and super accurate with a firearm. So I'll, I'll put a link to that program in the show notes on the, uh, on the blog so you can check that out as well. All right. Okay. Number three on my list is when you're ambushed, movement, saves lives. Okay. So in the military, in an, in an ambush, the enemy holds all the cards and it's the same way on the street, right? But an ambush is essentially for those of you that don't maybe aren't familiar with the military term. Um, essentially you line all of your troops, maybe like along a road, right? There's some place where you expect the enemy to come walking along and you, you could be sitting there for a very long time. Trust me. I've been in lots of like all night long ambush, uh, Location sometimes where the enemy didn't even come or the, the the training didn't or the other soldiers didn't come along that way right but but basically you line up in a certain pattern and you have you would even perhaps like you might be lined up on one side of the road where you're expecting the enemy to come you're uh, you're all kind of uh, camouflaged in there on the other side of the road you might put claymore mines that are that are there so when the enemy comes along that road they don't know that they're going to get shot at all of a sudden. Everybody on on the same you know on the same signal, just shock and all. You just you you just you you shoot the the hell out of the enemy on that road, and a lot of them are going to run away. Like they'll know they'll they'll hear where the shots are coming from. They'll run across the road and they'll try and like set up a position there, and that's where you hit the claymores and in where they're at. So you you know it's it's a big trap. Essentially, you're going to get riddled. It's it's not an easy thing to survive, right? And the way that you get out of an ambush is just to move. If you freeze, that is the worst option in the world is just to stand there. I'm just using the road as an example, but to stand there on the road and just let the enemy, you know, try and shoot back. But you're frozen there in the middle of the road. That is their kill zone. All right. Standing and drawing your weapon is the second worst option in the world because you're still right there in their kill zone. The best option to do when you're ambushed is to move. You have to take action. And it doesn't matter if you are running at the enemy, away from the enemy, the side of the enemy. Your best option is just to start running and firing to be able to just be able to get yourself some space to get to a place outside of the kill zone because that's where you're going to be able to counterattack and or you know get get everybody back together get a plan there or just get out of the area and freaking call in, you know, some Apache helicopters and some artillery on them or whatever, you know, but, but the thing is, is that in a, in the real world, ambushes happen also, right? And the criminals know, like when they're out there looking for a target, they know all the elements that they're, that they're, that they basically own, they have all the rules and the, the odds in their favor, Right. So they pick the the place that they're going to be. They can place the the, the time. So it could be nighttime, right? So they they're going to choose these places where they know you're going to be unsuspecting. You're going to be an easy target. Um, they might have their own little traps set up for you. In other words, they might interview you. For example, like, hey, 
my car ran out of gas. You know, can you can you spare a few bucks, man? That sort of thing. So there's lots of little tricks that they can do to ambush you out there. Okay. Now let's look at some of the places that you might be ambushed. These are very common places where you should expect an ambush to happen. For example, parking lots. Right. So a, a, a parking lot, especially away from where other people are. They know that people are going to be putting their groceries or bags in the car, or if it's at the shopping mall, it might be their, their bags full of, of clothing there. Um, gas stations are another place where you'll often see um, maybe homeless people or just people hanging out there at the convenience store where the gas station is, and somebody will come over. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of you have at least had somebody come over to ask for a few bucks if you're in the city at a gas station somewhere. So these are all ways that they can get close enough to you to ambush you, all right? When that happens, movement is going to be critical. So part of that is just the awareness and knowing that you are in a potential kill zone, if you will, when you're in a parking lot, when you're in a gas station, when somebody comes up to you that you don't know and they're walking in your direction. You have to think that these are enemy locations and this could be the enemy coming here, right? And then you just want to take action. You want to take preemptive action. And I don't talk about just pulling out your gun, but if somebody, for example, is coming up to you at a gas station and you don't know them and then you see that they're coming to you, you stop them long before they get to you. Stop right there. Can I help you? And there's no reason for them to keep walking. I said stop right there. They need to listen to you, right? You need to be aware of that. So anyway, taking action is what really saves you in those, in those ambush encounters. Okay. Okay. Item number four is every attack is a multiple attacker attack. Now I know you've heard me say this before. I mean, I've said this when it comes to self-defense. We say this when it comes to tactical firearms training. That's why when you take a tactical firearms class, when you've engaged the enemy, they say you bring the, you know, you bring the back, the weapon back into retention, but it's at like high ready. And you look over your shoulder, left and right. You make sure that you look around you just to see if there's any other bad guys out there. Now, I can tell you that on the battlefield, you already know this. You already know this. Because on the battlefield, you know you're fighting multiple enemy out there, right? You know that. So there's no, there's no question in your mind if you shoot somebody and they go down, you know the fight isn't done. Because there's other people that you still have to fight. Right. But civilians don't operate that way. Civilians get tunnel vision, partially because of the way that we we typically train. We normally are not doing tactical training. Most people are not out there taking a tactical training course where they have an instructor saying, you know, did you look to the left and right? No, you didn't. Right. Or doing things to make sure that they're they're. Um, that they're forcing people to look left and right by surprising them with something, you know, or it might be in dry fire and you, you have another enemy, you know, another guy come out of, of the shadows or out from behind a berm or something, right? So it's those types of things that really kind of, oh, that, like those lessons really sink in. But most people are not doing that. Most people are going down to the gun range and they're shooting in an individual lane in a straight line against a paper target that is not moving. It's marksmanship training. That's marksmanship training, right? So that essentially programs you the wrong way to think linearly, like in my lane. And so you really have to try and get yourself out of that. And criminals often travel in gangs or they might just have a, a partner there, right? Somebody to, 
you know, you'll have somebody that'll come up to you at a gas station and they will, you know, hey man, do you have a, do you have a couple bucks or whatever? And meanwhile, while you're telling them, no man, you need to get away from me, behind you comes their buddy who's going to hit you over the head or surprise you from behind. And that was just, that first one was just the decoy, right? So you've got to look at everything as it's a multiple attacker attack. All right. Now, it's not just criminals who might be the quote unquote multiple attackers. All right. So you might engage somebody with your firearm. You might have it out and you don't even have to pull the trigger yet. But somebody else comes out of the convenience store and they're a concealed, a concealed weapon carrier. Right. And they see you drawing down on this person. And maybe they can't tell that you are the good guy in this scenario. Right. Maybe it's not that obvious. So all they see is a guy with a gun and somebody else with their hands up. And it might look to them like you're the bad guy. So they might actually draw their weapon on you. It could be the police that come in response to your 911 call, right? Or are just cruising by and see you with a gun out. And they are, and they jump out. And we've seen situations where, you know, a police officer or, and or a, a concealed carry person might pull the trigger, right? Preemptively without thinking about it because human beings, right? Doesn't, it doesn't matter. It can happen. This is one of the reasons why I carry a, um, a concealed carry badge, like a, a true, you know, looks, it looks like a police officer's badge, but it just says concealed carry on it. I, I carry that as part of my everyday carry gear, right? It goes on, it's on my belt. Um, I have a riggers belt and it goes like right where, in the front where the, the, um, the riggers hitch is. And I put it there. It's got, it has a 550 cord around it. So, if I have to, I can take it out, put it around my neck, and at least there's a badge showing that somebody might see that. Or I can hold it up in the air with my hand, and somebody might see that. So if somebody is says, hey, you know, get out, you know, you get out, you get out. What are you doing? Drop your weapon, drop your weapon. And then I, I most likely will, if I've, if I've got that person going there, I'm not going to look like I'm going to draw another weapon. But if I have access to my, to my, um, to my badge, or I can just lift up my shirt and show them that it's hanging on the front there. I can just say, I'm one of the good guys, right? That, that can do it. Now, in some states, I, I think California is the only one I really know of where I, I think you're not allowed to even have a badge, right? Goes figure, you know, California to, 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 to make that a, a regulation there. But, but nonetheless, that is one of the reasons why I carry something like that. So you gotta, it's just a kind of a different play on what, attacker is but it could be the good guys friendly fire is not friendly right okay all right so the fifth and final factor here is that you will fight like you train only it will be 10 times worse okay so and i've seen this you've heard me tell lots of war stories with what even people that are very well trained even soldiers that are very well trained when bullets are coming at you and you see them hitting the ground or whizzing by your ear then it that pucker factor is it, it skyrockets, right? So everything that you were able to do in the relaxed gun range, or even during tactical courses and stuff, right? Even that stuff, you're going to be ten times worse than than your best day at the range, right? So you've got to you've got to take that into into account here. Now, if the only training that you're doing is on a static range in in a singular lane, like we've been talking about, well, ten times worse than that is is really bad because that's not that's not that's not good training, right? 
In fact, even in the military, we only hit the marksmanship range where it's just it's you and the targets, like pop-up targets there. You go out there, you re-zero your rifle, you're, the pop-up targets are out there, you're shooting them, you're, you're in a supported position, you're in a foxhole, you're laying down, you've got sandbags there. You're your, you're, you're your best right there, right? So that's really, that is marksmanship training. And we would only do that once, maybe twice a year. But we trained in the field. We went out actually into the woods or into the desert, into wherever we were going to go. That was going to be anywhere from seven days out of the month to an entire month where we were training, right? And that training was realistic. That was about tactics. Most times there was no live fire at all. It was all just with, with blanks, miles, uh, Miles gear and, and, you know, simulated, simulated training out there, but it was all about the tactics because it's the tactics that are going to, that are really going to save you, right? It's really what's going to save you because your, your accuracy is going to be off anyway because of all the factors in there. Moving target, you're moving, they're moving, you know, it's just, you throw everything together, you've got this big soup of effed up, right? So you're, you're not going to be as accurate. So it's the tactics. It's the ability to, to move quickly, to get to cover, to be able to do these things as fast as possible. That's what's going to save your life, right? But it's how realistic your training now that takes that 10 times worse and it makes it where that's not really that bad, right? So 10 times worse of a really good, um, like realistic training is still far better than even like criminals are going to have because right now the criminals are better trained. Most likely they're better trained than you are because they're training in tactics. They're training in spotting the best victim. They're sharing information. If they've been in prison, if they've been in jail, they're sharing information like that's they're They're getting their PhD out there, right? So you've got to make your training as realistic as possible in the military, especially when I was in 10th mountain division, you know, it was a, it's an elite fighting force right there. When we would go out on, in military uh, training out in the field, um, we would even go out and grab, like, go, go to a local farm and get cow intestines. Okay, you know, we would just get the intestines from, like, the, the butcher. And we, that would go in, like, a week ahead of time before we would go out in the field. We would throw it out into the, in these trenches. Like, if it was a, like, let's say it was like a, a defensive position where there are trenches built in there and there, you know, there were obstacles there. And it would be filled with water. I mean, it was just nasty, right? So you come, you, if you're on the offense and you're going on there, we would, we would storm that, the, the trenches and you just jump in, right? Cause you want to get on, you want to get to cover really quickly. You jump into a puddle that's up to your freaking, you know, your belly button and it's filled with you know, decomposing cow intestines. It's like it, you throw up, you're throwing up in the trenches, but you still have to fight, right? Like that's realism. Now, obviously that's going, that's taking things really, really far out, right? Um, but there are ways that you can get very, um, realistic. Now I'm not going to go into all the ways. Um, we have a program called uh, dirt cheap gun training that goes into dry fire and how you can make your training realistic. It's a very good program out there. It's just a, a collection of really, really simple, but fun dry fire drills that you can do even in your own home that you can get those tactics down. But the big thing that the big lesson here is for you to get out of the range, get out of that live fire range, get out of that lane training, right? Grab a laser trainer or an airsoft handgun, right? Um, airsoft these days, I mean, if I, if I showed you my Glock 26, um, my real one and my, uh, my airsoft one, I had you pick both of them up. 
you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, right? You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They're so realistic these days, right? So, um, so get something like that and then just like go to your garage. Like don't go out in the streets. Obviously don't go down to the local convenience store, or the gas pumps and don't do your dry, dry fire training out there. You're going to get shot somewhere, right? But just go into your garage or, you know, someplace that's out of the way. But a garage is a really good example of that because, you know, you can practice drawing from your vehicle in the garage. So you can be sitting in the driver's seat. You could have a, you could have a target, let's say, on the wall of your garage and you can, you know, practice drawing. Where, where are you, where's the best place for you to keep your, your handgun in the car? Do you have a, do you have a, a holster that you keep in the in the vehicle that is specific for when you get in there, or do you keep it at that you know three thirty four o'clock position on your hip inside the waistband when you get inside the vehicle? Go ahead and give it a try. See what it's like to draw your weapon when you've got your seatbelt on there and everything. Right. So do that. Um, get an old table and chair from Goodwill. Set that up in the garage. See what it's like to draw from behind a table where you might be at a restaurant. Set up your targets on the on the wall there. Use a 3D target. Um, we, we talk about 3D targets over at Dirt Cheap Gun Training. We've also got like how to build your own tactical range at home. One of the things we show people is how to make your own $10 3D target. It's really super simple, but it, it gives you more realism there. Um, go to Goodwill, and if you are normally, like if you go to work and you wear a suit and tie, like a, a two-piece suit and, and tie, well, go and get something that fits you from Goodwill. It's just a, you know, an old beat up $10, $10 suit that you can use and see what it's like to actually train in dress shoes and a suit. See what your mobility is like. You might find that you've got to maybe get your suit maybe a, a half size bigger or whatever to give you more room to get, be able to get out and get to your weapon. Um, you're just going to see, maybe you can't get, a proper stance or it's hard to move when you've got leather shoes on. Maybe you need to get shoes that are have a, a rubber tread on the, on them instead of leather sole, right? So those are all things that you can do that are make it very that are very simple, but they allow you to train much more realistically so that when the shit hits the fan, that ten times worse is not going to be as worse. You're gonna you're gonna have a much better chance of surviving that fight. Okay. All right. Well those are my five military factors of uh that of of training and in, in, in combat and military that are help you for concealed carry as well. I'd love to hear what your tips are, especially if you've been in the military. What did you learn in the military? Or if you're a police officer, what are some things that you learned that maybe civilians don't necessarily know? How would you apply that to a civilian defense scenario? All right. So leave your tips over on the blog and until our next Modern Combat and Survival podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. <laughs> This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.